From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase growing up, but this is a phrase I heard often and often dreaded. Just wait until your father comes home. Just wait until your father comes home. Whenever my actions pushed my mom beyond her limits, beyond what any measure of punishment she could give would work, just wait until your father comes home was laid on the table. And I knew my mom was serious. I knew my mom was serious when she said this because my mom stands five foot two, and she's a sweet, kind, gentle, gracious, giving person, but she can be fiery. She can be fiery. She, she gave me the, the, the open palm on a number of occasions, the, the wooden spoon, anything that maybe was in arm's reach, she gave me. So I knew my mom was serious when she laid this on the table because that told me that whatever she could do in her fieriness was not enough to deal with whatever I was doing right now. Just wait until... Your father comes home. I knew my mom was serious because she never called my dad father unless I was in trouble. And I know, how many of you guys, you, you grew up in the, in the home where your parents would use your full name whenever you got in trouble, right? I do that, yeah, everybody does that, right? I do that with my kids now. I say, Elijah Edward Douglas Patterson. And what's actually scary, it's scary how much kids pick up because Eli will say that to Joshua now. He'll use his full name when Joshua does something he doesn't like. But, but I, don't have a, I don't have a middle name. I, it's just call Patterson. That's, that's, it's sufficient. Just call Patterson is enough for me. But it's not really, it doesn't have a punch when you're trying to get your point across as a mother to a son. So I knew she was serious when she would use the word father, a more formal term that we didn't use in our home, for dad. He was only father when I was in trouble. Just wait until your father comes home. I knew my mom was serious when she said this because it meant that whatever punishment I was about to undergo, I would have to wait beyond this present moment. And the anticipation is punishment and enough for when my father would come home. Now, I love my dad. I love him to death. He was, in fact, he was supposed to be here today, but we got kids that are sick, and, and so he's not. But And so it would have been funny if he was sitting here when I was sharing this, but, but my dad was scary growing up. My dad, he's not anymore because I'm taller than him and, and I'm way more serious than him, but he was scary growing up. He was the kind of father that had the voice. I don't know if you have the father that had the voice, but, you know, I remember when I was little, I would get, I would actually get the belt, and the clearest memory I have of receiving the belt was the last time I actually received the belt. And the belt wasn't enough anymore, right? The sting I could bear. And so he, he moved to, to greater artillery. He busted out the voice. The voice was, was a deep kind of sound with a, accompanied by a very scary, mean-looking face that could get you in check in a moment. Now, he wouldn't do anything beyond the voice, but the voice was enough to, to make you terrified. You know he meant business. But then I got accustomed to the voice. And I remember when I was, I was 17, around 17 years old, I wasn't serving Jesus I wasn't walking with the Lord at the time, and I, I had lived a, a typical teenage party style of life. 
And that followed me into my first year of college. I was taking business in college. Followed me right in there. And I had, I had messed up enough that my, I guess my parents were done. I guess my parents were done. And I had come home less than sober. And my vehicle was dropped off by some friends, thankfully. And my mom used the phrase, just wait until your father comes home. Now, I knew she was serious for all the, the sad reasons. But then also, at this time in my, my life, my parents weren't on the same page relationally. So the fact that they were coming together for this meant that I did something that I shouldn't have done. I was, I was in big trouble. And sure enough, when my father came home, he sat me down, and he didn't use the voice. Like for, for 18, 17, 18 years of my life, he had used the voice, and now he's not using the voice. But it was different. He sat me down, and I'll never forget the words he said. He said, call. He said, you can do what you want with your life but you don't include your mother and I like this again. And it was just like, because he didn't use the voice. I knew my dad was serious then. I knew my dad was serious. I don't know if you've ever experienced discipline in your home, but most of us are, are accustomed to, or we know discipline all too well. Most of us have experiences with it for good or bad from our upbringing. We've received it in different ways, different shapes, different forms. Maybe you guys are from the generation where you had to actually go out and make your own switch. Your dad or your mom would say, you go outside and you grab your own switch. If you don't know what a switch is, then you're not from that generation. Maybe you're from the generation where you would get the belt or the spoon or the shoe or whatever was in arm's reach and, and your mother or father could use at the time. My mom would actually tell me that she, she wouldn't use shoes because her mother would sh throw shoes at her. <laughs> like as she was running up the stairs, she'd take off the high heels and, 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 and chuck it. That's, where I, that's my kind of background. Maybe you come from the, the generation where, where timeouts were, the, were your thing, right? I got a lot of timeouts as a kid. Me and my sister got a lot of timeouts, and actually, we, we, got, we got really good with timeouts because our, our rooms were perpendicular to one another. They sat on a corner, and so if they sent us to our room, we would literally, we'd be in our timeout, but we'd still play at the corner, and I think my parents were okay with it because we were out of their hair and we weren't bothering them. Or maybe you're from the generation where groundings were something that you received. You received grounding after grounding after grounding. Maybe discipline wasn't a form of punishment that you received in your upbringing, so you had to learn your own way, a hard way. Or maybe, maybe discipline and punishment was used in your upbringing, but it was administered in a way that wasn't good, and so you still had to learn a difficult way or the hard way. Discipline is something most of us, not all of us, but most of us know all too well, and most of the time, our experiences and our memories aren't the fondest, right? Nobody looks back at those moments and goes, man, those were the days, right? <laughs> I just, like, we can laugh about it sometimes now if we're past it. Unless you're not past it, then you're probably crying. But, but we can look back. But we don't look back and go, yes, those were, oh, those were the memories. It's not like campfires and, and, sh and s'mores, right? It's not, it's not like vacations. No one looks at discipline and says, ah. But let me tell you that regardless of your experience, Regardless of, of, of the form of punishment you receive, discipline is actually a biblical principle. And I'm not, I'm not going to say this to justify abusive forms of discipline. Right? I'm not saying this to justify or to, to excuse discipline that may be frowned upon. This is not that. But discipline in its core, in its essence, is golly as it's something that we see in the Father. God, who is the good father, who is loving, who is present, who is approachable, who is forgiving, who is for you. 
who pursues you, who stands by you, who forgives you, who fights for you, who is there for you, who gives his time for you, who smiles in your direction, who died on the cross from you, is also the disciplinarian, is also one who disciplines. We see in the scriptures a God who disciplines his creation. And unlike maybe our experiences with discipline, God's discipline is not out of his frustration. It's not out of his fits of rage. It's not out of an uncontrolled temper. It's not out of capricious behavior or even twisted pleasure. God disciplines, the scriptures say, out of love. Out of love. God is love. We looked at this last week, 1 John 4, 8. God is love. He doesn't show love. He doesn't express love. He is love. He is the source of love. So when we have love, we experience love, we share in love, it's because of God, because he is love. And this idea of, of godly discipline, if we understand it and we receive it in its proper form, it has the ability to shape us and grow us and move us forward in our faith exponentially. But if not understood and received properly, it will cap our growth. It will cap our growth. The discipline of God has often been twisted and greatly misunderstood. Our society has a way of, of portraying God as a moral monster, as a control freak, as an unfair punisher, but that's not who God is. And it's important, as this series is all about, it's important that we view and understand who God is as portrayed in Christ and as portrayed in the scriptures. I shared with you a quote from last week from A.W. Tozer that said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And that's true because what we think about God shapes how we relate to God. And it shapes how we connect to God. And it shapes ultimately our lives. And that's what we looked at last week. Some of us aren't incredibly close to God because of what we think about God. Some of us relate to him in a way that we're not intended to because of what we think about him. Our lives are defined and are going about in such a way because of what we think about God. It doesn't have the mark of the fingerprint of God. And this happens subconsciously, right? We're not actively thinking about these things, but it's just something that we do. As we think about God, when we think about God, it's important because it shapes, in how, and it shapes us and how we, how we engage in the Father, how we engage in relationship. God has a way he wants us to view him as creator, right, as sustainer, as savior, as king, as all-powerful, as God, but underlying all of that is a good father. It's a good father. And this is last week's stuff, so if you missed it, you can go on our podcast on the website and you can listen to it. The term father often conjures up different images and ideas, and we talked about this last week, and some of you have an image in your mind. Because of our experiences and our expectations, and what we do is we often take our experiences and our expectations from our earthly father, and we project it on the heavenly father. We think God is distant because our earthly fathers were distant or are distant. We think God is controlling because our earthly fathers were controlling. Or we think our God is condemning because we experienced a condemning father. This is true. We think God is a punisher because of our experience with punishment. But God is a loving father who disciplines out of love. And we need to understand God's discipline because it has the potential to propel us forward in our faith and to cause us to grow and understand God in greater light. So I want to I take a look at Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We're going to... 
we're going to start at, we're going to focus on verses 5 through 11. We're going to start at verse 1, and I want to focus on Hebrews chapter 12, this section, because it, it really has a way of kind of connecting with all facets, or most of the facets of God's discipline in one passage. And we're just going to, we're going to pause on each section. We're going to reflect a little bit, not in great detail, but enough that hopefully we walk away here with a little bit of greater understanding about God's discipline. So Hebrews chapter 12, we'll start at verse 1. I think verse 5 will get on the screen for us. Therefore, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So Hebrews chapter 11 was just describing different men and women who had incredible amounts of faith and what their faith accomplished. And so it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Verse 5, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you? As a father addresses his son. So let me just pause here. The author here is, is talking about the struggle with sin, right? The fight that we have in the flesh as we seek to move forward in our faith. See, the Christian, the Christian life, the Christian faith is one of rest and wrestling. When you, when you give your life to Jesus, there is rest that comes, right? There is peace that comes. There is a burden that is lifted. Because we now have a God that we can lean on. We now have a power that we can turn to. We now have a hope in eternity that we can hold on to. And that gives us a form of rest. Even amongst your situations and your circumstances in life, there is, a, there is a peace. But too often, this rest is the only thing that is preached, presented, or believed in. That when you get God, everything is great. Everything is peachy. And that's true. But it's hard too. There is rest. That is true. And it is great, that is true. And there is peace, that is true. But it's difficult. Jesus said, narrow is the road that leads to life. Not wide and easy. Oh, you got me now, everything's going to be easy. That's the prosperity gospel. That is not the, the faith gospel that's preached through Jesus. He says, narrow is the road that leads to life. Because while there is a rest, there is a wrestling. There is a wrestling. All of a sudden, you're on this journey. You're in this lane. You've accepted a worldview that opposes your natural inclinations towards sin or and a, and a lifestyle that is countercultural to the society that we live in. And as you begin this, this life, as you begin this faith journey, this relationship with God, inside of you, the spirit of God in your spirit begins to, to refine you and shape you to become more like Jesus. And this wrestling is hard. It's the struggle against sin that Hebrews talks about. And we look at this struggle against sin and we often say, well, why is this happening? Well, this can't be God. This is too hard. I can't do this. And we get discouraged, right? We get discouraged against our continual battle against sin. And so the author here is, is talking about this struggle, and he says, have you forgotten the word of encouragement? In your fight, 
in your wrestling? Have you forgotten the encouragement as you throw off the sin that so easily entangles and as you run the race set out for you, as you look to all these great cloud of witnesses, all the heroes of the faith, have you forgotten the encouragement? As you begin to lose heart, have you forgotten the encouragement? And here it is in the next line. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. The encouragement, don't lose heart. He chastens everyone he accepts as a a son. Be encouraged, he's saying. If God is disciplining you, it's because you've been adopted into his family. If God is disciplining you, it's because you belong to God. You are a child of God. Don't lose heart. Often, uh, I shouldn't say often, sometimes when I discipline my kids, I can see in their face them begin to lose heart. The other day, um, I think it was on Wednesday, Emmy, our our youngest daughter who's seven months old, has been battling a fever all week, and it's actually turned into croup um, yesterday. Um, But on Wednesday... Uh, she was up all night. It was the first night. She was up all night, and so we were up all night. And Eli, our oldest, who's five, just lost his first tooth at the same time. And I don't know if you know Eli yet, but he can be an inquisitive, curious, careful kind of kid. And so he was really concerned that either the tooth fairy wasn't going to come or the tooth fairy was going to come. But either way, he was up all night. So we had two kids that were up all night. Needless to say, we were up all night, and so we were tired. So the next morning, everyone's sleeping in except for me. I'm getting up, getting ready for the day. And then Joshua, and he's had a great sleep, and he's just ready to go. <laughs> and so he's, he comes out of his room, and he's kind of still groggy, but his voice is at like, you know, noon, 1 p.m. volume level. And I'm like, buddy, shh, quiet. Everyone's still sleeping. Eli's sleeping. Mommy's sleeping. Emmy's sleeping. He goes, okay. And then he talks back at the volume over here. And so I'm, I'm repeatedly saying this to him, be quiet, be quiet. Joshua, you need to be quiet. Joshua, whisper. And he's just not getting it. And so finally, I'm getting a little, like, frustrated. I'm like, then I bust out the voice. I bust out the voice and the finger. And you guys do the finger, right? And I say, Joshua, enough. And he looks at me. And honestly, my heart started to break. <laughs> so he looks at me and he says, and it must have, he must have been still growing. Daddy, do you still love me? <laughs> oh, and he could have punched me in my throat, right? Because I just... It, it ached me, and I, and I sat down, I gave him a big hug, and I said, buddy, I will always love you. In fact, something I say to my sons every night is I say, whose son are you? And they say, your son. And I say, when's that going to change? And they say, never. Every night. And they think it's just ridiculous now. They're like, your son. You know, it's just, but I want them to know that regardless of what happens, nothing's going to change. They're always going to be my boys. And so I, I said to him, I said, I love you, and I will always love you, but I love you too much to let you continue to do what is wrong. I love you too much. And as believers, as someone who is walking with God, God disciplines you because he loves you. He loves you too much to continue to let you do wrong. So he disciplines out of love so that you move towards what is right. And so many of us fear discipline or we fight against it or we don't believe it's God, right? We can't consider that God would, would do such a thing or allow such a thing because we think God is a cosmic genie. Right, that he'll just—he's just—it's—it's easy with God, and He only gives good things, treasures. But in the wrestling, when the correction comes, we lose heart, or we or we take it lightly because we don't see the value in it. Consider the encouragement the author's saying. Consider the encouragement. The Lord disciplines the one He loves. He goes on to say in verse seven, He says, "Endure hardship as discipline. 
Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Endure hardship as discipline. So when you're facing difficulties, when you're going through things, when you're suffering, he's saying endure that as God's discipline. James chapter 1 says, consider it a pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. Consider it a pure joy because difficulties have the ability, and we know this if we actually reflect on it and think on it, difficulties have the ability to refine us and mature us. But we often say in the, in the moment or in the heat of it, well, how could God do such a thing? How is this discipline? Why is this good? Well, the thing in and of itself isn't good, right? But it's what produced, what comes from it. Romans chapter 8 says this, all things, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good purposes. He uses all of it. All the things. And you know, and if you're a parent, you understand this. Your kid may do something, something may happen, and you'll lose, use it as a lesson to teach them. God uses all things. So regardless of why or how the difficulty came, that's a message in the, for another day. Endure it as discipline. Hold on. Get through it. It's hard in the middle, but something good can be produced in the end. James chapter 1 continues to say, it says, after it says, to consider it a pure joy when you face trials of all kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Something good comes out of it. Verse 8, it says this, it says, if you are not disciplined and everybody undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So God's discipline is a sign that we belong to him. It's the authentication of our salvation. It's the authentication of our salvation. You're being disciplined by God because you're saved. Right? You give your life to Jesus, and he's like, okay, now it's time to shape you. Now it's time to refine you. Now it's time to mold you, and it's going to be difficult. But I'm doing this because you belong to me now. You belong to me. God's discipline is a sign that we belong to him. And you're, when you're not saved, when you're not actively walking with Jesus, God lets you run wild in your sin. And that is not freedom. God's discipline is not slavery. He's not restricting you. We're living in a little bit of a construction zone right now. And right across the street, they're building a couple extra houses. And the workers often leave, we call them workers. <laughs> That's what our boys refer to them as. Leave scaffolding up everywhere, like full-on scaffolding. And there's tons of kids on the street. And so we've told our boys a few times that you're not to climb the scaffolding, but then there are all the other kids on the street, they start going and climbing the scaffolding. And so on a, a few occasions, we've, we found our boys climbing, like they're five and three, climbing this scaffolding. And so we're shouting out the window or we're running out the door, get down. And then on a few occasions, we've brought them inside. And Eli says to me a couple of times, ah, like typical kid, right? Ah, why can't we do this? They get to do this. And I said to him, well, you belong to us. They don't belong to us. We, we can't tell them what to do, but I did, I did tell them as well. <laughs> just, you know, I'm like, get down from there. It's funny how all kids kind of just respond to authoritative be, you know, voice. Get down. Um, but I said, I, said, I said, you belong to us. You belong to us, and they don't belong to us. And because you belong to us, we have rules for your benefit. We have rules for your benefit. God's discipline is the authentication of our salvation. It's because we're part of his family. You belong to him. So he disciplines. Verse 9, it says, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. 
How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? I got lots of stories this morning. We had, uh, we had tons of rules, and I used the word tons purposely growing up as a kid around the dinner table. Like having proper manners around the dinner table was like life and death in our home, it felt like. It was like sometimes the Battle of Armageddon came on the dinner table because we couldn't have the elbows on the table. You couldn't have your, your feet on the chair, right? You had to hold, hold your knife and fork in a certain way, and you had to say knife and fork because if you said it the other way, it sounded like you were cussing. You couldn't do anything like that. My mom even had a song. Seriously. My mom even had a song that she would begin to sing if my foot found its way on the little, you know, leg part of the chair or maybe somewhere under my, my bottom. Like, she, she began to sing a song that was a warning to me to get my foot down or, or her foot's going to go somewhere else, right? Like, like, seriously. And so she began to sing this song, and I'd be like, oh, shoot, like, it's trouble time. We had so many rules, and I remember thinking that my parents were so mean. Right? And they, I remember them thinking so mean and so controlling. And I guess we were really well-behaved kids when we went out in public, but we were just terrified that something was going to happen. But then I grew up, and I saw how some adults eat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then I I have kids now, and I watch how they behave around the dinner table. And I'm like, oh, and now I respect my family for it, because it produced something in me. Proper table manners. Sometimes. Now I get a lot, I've got elbows on the table all the time. I know I shouldn't. I don't even know why. Why does it matter if elbows are on the table, right? It's comfortable. You're right. Especially after a day of work, you want to sit down and eat your meal. Sometimes you're, I don't know. I don't know. But it was, but, but I respected them for it. How much more should we submit to a good father, a perfect father, who's, who the author's saying, who disciplines us so that we may live? Because what God produces in us and through his discipline is life. It says, and live, because what God produces in us is not good manners, right? It's not, it's not good behavior. It's not behavior modification. But he produces in us Christ's likeness, that we may live. His, his discipline leads to life. We respected our earthly fathers, some of us, for their discipline. We should have more respect for God's discipline, not scorn, right? Because his discipline produces eternal life. Verse 10, it says, and they, the human fathers, they disciplined us a little while as they thought best. Can I just pause? I just want to encourage a parent this morning, because maybe you're here today and you're being a little discouraged because of maybe how broken you are and how your brokenness is showing as you begin to discipline your kids, or maybe how your kids aren't responding the way you had hoped. Just be encouraged that you're doing the best you can. Right? Sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves. Like, God is perfect, you are not. Right? You are broken, he is not. Now, listen, I'm not excusing behavior, so if you need help, like, seek help and, and connect with somebody. We talked about a few weeks ago to confess sin to one another and pray that we may be healed. Absolutely. But be encouraged, okay? You are not perfect. You are broken. It says, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. See, our parents may have not had the best intentions, right? They may have disciplined us, or you may be disciplining out of frustration or temper. But God does not do so out of frustration and temper, but it is for good in order that we may share in his holiness. God's discipline is not punishment. It's correction. See, the cross uh, removes the penalty of sin, but discipline removes the power of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment. 
He took the penalty. He took the payment that our sin received. So God doesn't need to beat us when we mess up because Jesus was beaten. Jesus took it on himself. He received the punishment. When God disciplines, it's course correction. It removes the power that sin has over our lives and points us towards holiness, points us towards living like Jesus. If you think about it, we are not disciplined people by nature. Your childhood is a reflection of that, or your children are a reflection of that, right? We are not disciplined with food, with time, with maybe our relationships, but when we get disciplined in these areas, all of a sudden it produces things of value, right? All of a sudden we get in shape, or, or we have more time, or we're using our time wisely, or we're not neglecting our family. Well, God's discipline is similar. God discipline, God's discipline removes the power of sin over us. It points us towards holiness, and it frees us from the grip of sin, producing in us Christ-likeness, so that we reflect and look more like Jesus. So when someone looks at our life, they see Jesus. It's course correction. As we naturally, we gravitate towards sin. We have a tendency towards sinful behavior. And so God disciplines us to course correct us back on the path to looking a little bit more like Jesus. And so that what is produced in us is holiness. Holiness. Can I just say that God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness? You may have heard that before. But sometimes we think God, again, is that cosmic genie just out to make us happy. And I believe that God is for your joy. But he is more concerned about your holiness. Because happiness is momentary, right? You get a flower from a loved one, or you get to eat a chocolate, or you get to have a nap on a couch this afternoon, or I don't know. You feel happy. But that doesn't lead to eternal life. But he wants to produce holiness in you, right? He wants you to look like Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus. So he disciplines. And the more we embrace God's correction, the less power sin has over our lives. Some of you are struggling with sin because you keep giving in to sin, but when you respond to God's discipline, you say, okay, God, I'm going to respond, as opposed to saying, how could you? I'm going to like, okay, I'm going to receive this. Then the power of sin is dismantled from your life. The author continues to say, he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God's discipline produces holiness, as we just looked at, righteousness or right living and peace. It points us towards something good. But it doesn't feel good to be disciplined. The word discipline comes from the Greek word meaning to educate by punishment or chastisement. Let me teach you something in a really rough, hard way, right? By punishment and chastisement. Again, this is not the punishment that Jesus took on the cross, right? This is the consequence that comes with it. As a follower of Jesus, I am free eternally from the power of sin. My, hell is not my destination because Jesus took the punishment that I was to bear. But my sin today can still have consequences, right? My selfish, selfishness can hurt me and hurt, hurt others. My greed can, can mess with my family and mess with my finances, right? It has consequences. My sin has consequences. But the word discipline he's using here means to train or to educate by correcting words, admonishment or reprove. Admonish, if you don't know what that means, it means to warn, warn firmly. Warn firmly. Or reprove means to scold or rebuke with kind intent, right? How many of our kids or how many of you received rebuke from your parents and you just thought they were being mean, but they had good intentions, kind intent. To educate by correcting with firm warnings and rebukes with kind intent. Paul uses the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, but it's, 
but it's translated differently in English. Let me just read it for you. He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live, beaten and not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. The word beaten here is the same word that, that the author of Hebrews uses for discipline. Something painful to produce something good. Because discipline doesn't feel good, right? When you go to the gym, it doesn't feel good. When you start running, you haven't ran for a while, it doesn't feel good, but it produces something good. We know this. Discipline produces something good. It's painful, but there is a desired outcome with God's discipline. And listen, the discipline that God give, gives is not for his benefit. It's not for the disciplinarian. It's for yours. You benefit. You learn, you grow, course correction is the goal. God, the good father, wants to shape you into his likeness. So he disciplines. He's part of his family. He uses discipline to correct your course because you belong to him. Because you are his child. He loves you. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going we're gonna to take communion together, but I just want to give you four ways that this happens, four practical ways for you to consider that God disciplines as they come. First is in hardships. Now, we touched on this earlier in the verse. He uses the circumstances of life to mold you as you endure them. Difficulties, situations, maybe of your own doing or someone else's. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. The difficulties that Jesus faced produced obedience in him. And what this means is that as he moved forward, as he grew, grew from one degree to another, as he faced a new challenge, he had to begin with obedience again. As he faced an, another new kind of challenge, again, he becomes obedient again. So each new challenge, the obedience is coming. Each new dis, uh, discipline, each hardship, each suffering produced in Jesus obedience. God uses hardships things that you face, that you're going through, to discipline you. Not because he wants you to face those things. Not because he's a punisher and thinks you deserve it. Not because he's, he's, he's sitting out there, he's like, you're getting what you deserve. It's not like that. He's just, he uses it if you endure it, if you turn to him, to shape you, to mold you. So I want you to ask yourself this question. What circumstances am I going through? And how could God be using this for my good? That's like sobering, right? Because when we think about the things we go through, we're like, oh, this is not a good thing. The thing is not good in and of itself, but God can use it if we endure it and if we turn to him and look to him through it. Number two is relationships. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and iron sharpens iron by one piece rubbing up against another repeatedly over and over again. When one that is tougher rubs up against another, the roughness of the one rubs out the roughness and the other. The, the strength of the one rubs out the strength or the roughness in the other. When we are walking with others who are walking with God, when we are who are close with God, we are refined. Right? We are refined. When we see how they're walking, how they're living, 
what they say, what they don't laugh at, what they engage in, what they don't engage in, how they react. God uses that, if we're paying attention, to work in us. When someone we love calls us out on something, right? Bro, that's not right. That's sin. Like, that doesn't feel good. We're like, we don't like that. We don't like to hear people telling us we're in the wrong. But God can use that as a form of discipline. It's rebuke. It's painful, but it produces something. The natural difficulties and hard conversations that come through relationships like marriages can sanctify us, can purify us. There's a pruning that takes place. Now, all of this needs to be, you know, be taken in faith and relationship. Like, we, can, we cannot hold someone accountable to a biblical standard that they have not agreed to live by. That's, that's Corinthians. Paul says that. that we, who am I to judge those outside the church, he says. Judge those inside, not those outside. Right? And secondly, they have to have faith. Secondly, we have to have a relationship. Right? We cannot hold someone accountable that we have not earned the right to be heard. We've not earned the right to be heard in their life. How can we hold them accountable? We can, we can try, but they're not going to receive it. But if you have a relationship, it's hard. It's difficult, but God can use it as a form of discipline to work in us. So how is God using the people around you to shape you? And, and usually, usually it's the relationships that are brutally honest, right? When someone's like, you're just, you're just being a jerk right now. Or you can't act like that. And it hurts, and it's hard, usually because they're right. Usually. Spirit uses that, speaks to that. Third one is the Bible. The Bible is God's standard for Christian living. And as we read the word and as we hear the word and as we learn more of the word, God will use it to correct our course. He'll reveal something through his word about how we're living. And he'll speak to that. And he'll reveal something in our life. And usually as you read the word or even as you hear the word, it's like God's reading your mail. Maybe even this morning, someone, like I've heard people say this to me before. I've, I've been on the other end where I've been like, man, I just feel like that was, like he was just talking to me. I'm not, I'm not talking directly to you, but the Spirit of God uses the Word to reveal something about your life and correct, corrects your course. So it's important that we're in the Word. It's important that we're reading the Word because God uses it. He speaks to us for it. So what have you read lately that felt like it was meant just for you or leaped off the page? Fourth is conviction. I said I have four, but I kind of have five. Conviction. Jesus, Jesus said that the Spirit has come into the world to convict the world of sin. And when you gave your life to Jesus as a believer, the, the Bible says that a deposit of the Spirit has been placed in your life. And so the Spirit of God will speak to you about your thoughts and about your actions as you think them and as you do them to correct your course. So I don't know if you've ever done something before and you've just felt terrible afterwards. Your conscience speaks like, hey, that's not good, right? The Spirit of God speaks through our conscience to correct your course. And if you ignore it, your conscience will be seared. And eventually you won't listen to it anymore or you won't hear it anymore. But you respond to it and the power of sin is removed off your life. The Spirit of God. And, and the last one is, is grace. It's kind of tied to conviction. But grace. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Have you ever done something terrible? Maybe you've said something you shouldn't have said to a a loved one, a spouse, your husband, wife, you've blown up on, on a kid. And you know, you feel terrible for it afterwards, but they just, they just return it with kindness. And you just feel like a pile of dirt, right? 
Like you just blew up and they're just like, I love you. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a jerk. It's God's grace. He's giving you what you don't deserve. Spirit of God, giving you what you don't deserve. So he uses hardship, relationships, the Bible, conviction, and grace to discipline us. Father, who's loving, who's present, who's approachable, who's very available to you. Cares for you, died on the cross for you, smiles in your direction, but he's also disciplinarian. He loves you too much, the Bible says, to leave you where you are. You know, we, we, we say this in church worlds a lot. Come as you are, come as you are. Bring your, bring your baggage, bring it all. Come on in, you're welcome. But don't stay like that. Because once you meet Jesus, he's going to say, hey, I got something more for you. And so I'm going to sharpen you a little bit. I'm going to work on you a little bit. And it's going to be tough. But what is produced in you is going to be righteousness and holiness and peace and Christ-likeness. It's for your good. It's for your benefit. It's not for mine. It's because I love you and I love you too much to leave you the same. I love you too much to leave you the same. Listen. If God is disciplining us, there should be what things being produced. We should be on a progression in our faith. We should be able to look back over six months, over a year, whatever time period is our faith, and see a difference in our life. Right? I can't sit there with iron sharpening another piece of iron and not see something produced in it. There's fruit that happens through God's discipline. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, those I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So I have two questions for you to consider, and we're going to take communion together. How is God disciplining me? What is he using? Who is he using? What are they saying? Ask yourself that, and ask him to reveal it, reveal it to you. God, are, are you using this? Is this something I should be paying attention to? What, do you, what are you trying to say in this? And secondly, is when you feel that, pause and ask yourself, what is he trying to correct in me? What is he trying to correct in me? What is the Father trying to change in me? What are you trying to teach me, God? What are you trying to teach me? When my kid looks at me and says, do you still love me, Daddy? On a Thursday morning when everyone's tired. What are you trying to teach me? When I go through these struggles with, with finances and difficulties and relationships, what are you trying to teach me? Or what can you teach me? Maybe you didn't bring this on. You didn't bring this on. You're just allowing this to happen. Why are you allowing this to happen? What can be produced in me through this? Think about that. I'm not saying that God uses, uses everything for discipline, but discipline is a sign that we belong to him because he disciplines those he loves. So you're going through difficulties because he loves you. Somebody said something that hurt a little too deeply, and maybe it was really mean. Maybe they were ill-intentioned right? Maybe they had wrong motives. Maybe they were being a jerk. But maybe it, it, it hit something there that God wants to speak to. Maybe you read something in the Bible and something just jumps out and you're like, why is that word jumping out of me? What are you trying to say to me? I was driving down the road. We were coming back from Welland yesterday in Hamilton area and there's this one guy that was just road raging, right? Just cutting people off and purposely slowing down so that you couldn't get by and I was getting frustrated. And there was a moment, I, I had this prepared, and there was a moment where I was just like, oh, 
My flesh was coming out, right? I'm just ready to find my way with my van full of kids in a van and minivan, just drive up and cut him off and show him what he deserves. But there was a moment where the Spirit's like, uh-uh. Again, because I was just, this was fresh in my head, right? This was fresh in my head, but he's like, uh-uh. That's not what I want you to do. It was conviction. And then sometimes he does it through grace. You just, you just get good when you shouldn't get good. You get love when you shouldn't get love. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.